What's up, everybody? Patrick here. Just wanted to hop on quick, apologize in advance. This was our first interview, and we kind of messed up the recording, so this episode will be audio only. Videos will be back next week. This episode will still be uploaded onto YouTube just with a static background, and then, like I said, videos will be back next week. I'd like to welcome our guest for this episode. His name is Amr Abu Shakra. Dan and I kind of both uh, heard of him through Student Works, where he blew the Rookie of the Year uh, record out of the water in his first year and then blew the overall record out of the water in his second year um, and then kind of surprised everybody and left. He went to on to start his own consulting business, consulting for other people, uh, other contractors trying to build businesses in different trades. So we go deep into all that and deep into a few other things without further delay. Welcome, Ammer. Thanks for having me, guys. Cool. So, I mean... uh I, if you don't mind, would just like to start uh, talking to you a little bit about Student Works, uh, where where all of our paths kind of cross. The cult, uh, in a way, the the cult, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know, as Dan just mentioned, you did two twenty five your first year and uh, five hundred your second year. So I just had a question for you, um, kind of about those. Like when I was there, Chris Thompson, CT, shout out to CT, um, would always kind of talk about uh what your unique ability is and how like mm. that's what you should really be aiming to focus your time on whatever you are uniquely gifted at and try to delegate as much of the other things as you can um so my question is what uh, what would you consider to be your unique ability yeah that's a that's a great question and it's something that uh chris actually sent me an email to help me decipher it and he helped me work that through and it really came down, I think, to two things. Um, one of them for sure was my ability to enroll others into my vision and my goal. Uh, I, uh, I just love the idea of creating something like a mission or a, a goal and then getting people a part of it. You know, So now this started in school where whenever there's a project, I'm the one who's you know, moving things around, organizing stuff and getting it to my vision. Uh, also being open to other people's visions, but people were just like, yeah, no, this sounds good. Let's do it. And uh, enrolling people into your business doesn't mean just hiring people. It's also, hey, here's here's my product and here's why I truly believe this product is going to be of great help to you and, and your life. Uh, and so I just love everything that comes around enrollment, you know, and otherwise uh, you can say you can call this sales, right? And my second ability is the ability to create systems. So I am very lazy. I like to consider myself to be a very lazy person. So what does that mean? That means if I don't have to do something, then I'm going to make sure that I don't have to do it ever. So for example, uh, this was a, uh, a big sort of, I won't say big, it was just a debate that I had with, uh, with an individual in Studentworks. His name is Marnus. He held the record. He did 309,000 uh, the year before I came in. That was the overall record? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he had this idea that you could not run a successful painting business unless you were a really good painter. And, and judging from how I saw the business, I actually thought, no, I think there is a way that you can run a very successful business without knowing how to paint. So disclaimer, I'm not a good painter at all. I think I painted like four times in my life. Um, I'm not the so, best window cleaner either. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't want to paint. I just knew the amount of money I would make per hour painting is, is so much lower than it is going out door knocking or going out and recruiting. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to build systems within my business to ensure that the stuff that I don't have to do gets done without me. And what that means is I had to really go from scratch and break down, like, what does a half a million dollar business look like? How many people does it need? What are its key players? How many doors do I have to knock on? And then I would work backwards and then start filling in the necessary systems and people. 
to to insure it. And this systemization is what got me to build this consulting business in the first place. It's because it's it's how I see everything, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's been it's been fruitful so far. People have been getting results in the consulting business like crazy. Uh, within a couple of weeks, people are closing twenty to twenty-six thousand dollar jobs, and uh, within my business, uh, every system had a backup plan as well. So uh, I got a lot of I got a lot done in the same amount of time that everybody else. And with 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 less stress, I didn't have to climb ladders or you know paint or you know last minute do stuff on my own or drive this around and. I just kind of built that within my business from day one. Wow! Did you ever? Um, obviously, I totally agree with your with your mindset that you don't have to be uh, a good painter to run a painting business, or like we don't have to be a good window cleaner to run a window cleaning business. Um, was there ever a time that you wished you had been a better painter? So actually, no, because that meant there was never a plan B, and I think that's where most people get caught up. If I was a good painter and we were short-staffed, it's time to go plan B where I have to roll up my sleeves, which a lot of people have that option. Yeah, you burn your burn your boats at the shore. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, so I, I sort of burnt the ships at the shore and said, hey, if, there, if I don't have the right staff, this job's not getting done. So I have to be, instead of being a good painter, now I had to be a better sort of fire extinguisher. I had to learn how to talk to clients in way tougher scenarios than most people have ever been because I just actually cannot solve this problem right now. And it's like, hey, can you just buy us another day and here's what we can do to make it up. So not having a plan B has been actually a huge advantage. That's 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 incredible because I feel like a lot of people, at least like just purely talking about student work, student works operators, business owners who run this kind of business, I feel like there's so much anxiety around what if I can't, do this job on time? What if a guy gets sick or quits? Like, what am I going to do? I feel like there's there's so much anxiety around that. And it, it sounds to me like you've kind of come up with the solution. Like a lot of people's solution to that is, well, I'll just do the work if I have to. And you, you've you kind of put systems in place that mean that you don't ever have to have to do that. You know, there's always another way out. And I, I, I really like that. That's, that's really mm. cool. Here's one thing you should know. And I'm going to say clearly. I think it's more stressful to run a business with a small goal than it is to run a business with a bigger goal. Okay, so it's more stressful to run a smaller business. Why do I say that? When you have a smaller business, you have four employees, one of them calls six, sick. Well, that's 25% of your workforce that just disappeared the next day. When you have 25 clients and one of them gets angry, I mean, depending on the size, that could be like 5 to 10% of your revenue for your business. Whereas if you run a bigger business and somebody calls in sick, I mean, that's maybe 5%, 2% of your workforce. When you have a 200, 300 clients and one of them goes to court, I mean, and, and let's call it a $5,000 like job that you, that you might not never see the money on, that's 1% of your revenue. So you never get actually stressed out and you have the power of numbers behind you, which is kind of a superpower uh, because it just it just goes from, oh, this is the reality, like, oh, if I don't get this client, like I'm screwed, to the only thing you have to manage is just your ego and your emotions, which you have more control. On. Which which can be, it can be difficult to manage those at times as well. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you, it's way easier to manage that than it is to manage somebody else's ego and decision making and, and you know, pulling out their wallet to make a decision. You know what I mean? I It's funny because I've felt the exact same th way about scale is getting easier. Every year that we grow, I feel like it's a lot easier. And I've never thought about it in that perspective. I've always kind of figured just we have better systems now. Um, but you're absolutely right. That's that's 100% true. If uh, your your problems just become so marginal on on that layer, and if, you know yeah. if someone doesn't show up to work, you're like whatever. I have 45 other employees that'll just come in the next day and do it. Um, exactly. So yeah, that's that's an interesting way of, of putting it. 
So, um, yeah. d- did you want to? I'll let you run through your question. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, to be honest, like that—that that answered uh, a lot of what I was, what I wanted to know. Um, That's it. Calls done. We're but uh, yeah, let's close up. No, um, I, w- I was actually wondering because, like, one of the things that obviously we do, we do a lot of, and going to be doing more of this year is uh, hiring. Um, so I was just wondering, like, what uh, what your hiring process uh, was like, like your year running your 500 or whatever what was your hiring process like Like, what are you looking for in your in your painters i guess it was for us it would be cleaners yeah got it um good question so there's two places you can find employees you can find employees outside of your business or inside your business so well obviously if they're employees they're already inside the business but what i'm what i'm looking for mostly are leaders people that can take on more for the sake of the business Now, remember how I said uh, there's a lot of things in my business that I didn't have to do, um, that I didn't want to do as well. So I'll give you an example. Picking up paint and supplies from the supply store. Instead of me doing those those drives, I would look at at a crew of two employees, see who's the best and most ambitious, and who has a goal that I understand within the business, like, oh, they want to buy a car or they're saving up for school or whatever. And I'll go up to them and say, hey, look, I'm willing to give you maybe a 50 cent, 75 cent raise, maybe a dollar raise, and your added responsibility is you're going to have to start your day 15 minutes earlier, 20 minutes earlier, and you're going to have to buy this stuff for the crew. And at the end of the day, you just have to pack up for an extra 15 minutes. And yes, you're being paid for that extra time, and you're getting a raise for that. So right there, I just solved the problem within one container of my business, which is that crew, uh, by promoting leadership. Now, if we're getting uh, employees from the outside, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward. You have to define the role that you're hiring for. Uh, you need to go on, you know, ZipRecruiter, Indeed, Facebook Jobs, uh, whatever the best spots to uh, find talent uh, within your area. And if you're always wondering, well, what's the best place to find talent? Uh, go to the supply store in your area and talk to the person behind the counter. They see contractors all the time. They hear contracting talk all the time. Hey, I'm new to the area. I'm looking to start my business. Uh, what advice can you tell me about the best places to hire employees? I'm like, oh, everybody in this area only uses Yelp. Okay, great. You're going to use Yelp. So once you define the marketplace you're going to be targeting, you have to write some uh, some ad copy. And you can actually go online and if you're looking to post an ad on Indeed and you run a plumbing business, go on Indeed, look up other plumbing businesses' ads and just, you know, find three of them, take all three, you know, take all three and then, you know, take the first half of the first one, the second half, the the middle of the second one and the last and just combine them into your own because it's proven to work. Once you have that, then then the the sales process starts uh, or the recruiting process starts uh, you know, recruiting and sales are actually pretty close, but that's another conversation. Uh, the recruiting process starts with a phone call. So uh, I've I've created a uh, an eight minute call script, a nine minute call script where you can kind of siphon through and ask questions that people cannot rehearse for. And in that first eight minutes, you're just ironing out logistics. Where are you in the area? You know, uh, this is the type of job. Are you sure? Like, this is what you're looking for. Do you have a vehicle? Do you have any certifications? You know, just you're, you're just you want to imagine in the first step, uh, you're like sifting through robots, and you're just looking for a robot that's doing the best, right? And obviously, that's still the first process. Once you've found, uh, let's say, I'm on the phone with Bob, and Bob sounds like he is logistically uh, uh, fit for my business. Then at the end of the call, I would actually send him an email with an expectation document. And this is a seven to eight page expectation document of what I like to see in my business. Now, what you, Patrick, want to see in your business and what you, Dan, want to see in your business is different than what I want to see. There's different things important for you than I. And this is the values of the business. One of the things I value are the two biggest things is integrity, people just doing what they say. And number two, uh, having no non-communication. No non-communication. So what does that mean? That means if there's any sort of grievance or annoyance, they always come to me. They're always transparent. If those two values are present in my business, like I'm more than happy. I think I could solve every. I totally agree with that. Those are those are great ones. Yeah, I think that's what everybody should be looking for. Right in this in this kind of industry, that's 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 great. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, it's a re- really important. So I send them the expectation document, and then I set up in that same email uh, the face-to-face interview. And this is a 20-minute interview, and the questions that I've gone through, I've spent years like picking the right ones, and I had like a recruitment uh, agency help me out with the questions through my network. I was about to say, can you send us those? Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, no problem. Um, so you'll, you'll yeah, it's the, the face-to-face interview. You can take notes, you can analyze them, and then... And then after that, well, there's uh, the final meeting where you're just going through expectations and talking pay and uh, getting them through a two-week onboarding process. And then in those two weeks, you can really find out if they are uh, good to have or not good to have. So can I ask, what was your your drop rate in terms of, let's say you got 10 people uh, qualified and you were happy with their interviews? And Are you talking about the the phone interview or the in person interview? So from the moment you um, basically decide that you want them to start a pro, on a probationary period, so before onboarding, so you basically have decided that these ten people are ready to go and you're they're hired as long as they show up and do the job properly. How many of those people stayed versus didn't work out? Stayed for say at least yeah. two weeks. I would always manage people's expectations at that point and saying 50%. Like, you know, even after they went through two interviews. Sorry, 50 or 15? 50, 50. So you're saying... That seems high. So you're telling me if you got... If you hired 10 people, five of them would work out. Yeah. That's how I would see it. Because I think that's like a very conservative number. What I've observed... That's excellent. We... Last year, I think I had like a 25%. Right? Yeah. Or tw- no, it was 20%. If I tracked a month and a half, two months later, how many people I hired off the bat that worked out, it was 20%. But that was just from um, hiring people through online ads. That didn't include referrals from workers or anything like that. Did you have a two-step interview process? So my interview process was... Um, First, I would just sift through all the applications. I'd pick the best ones. I'd call them. I'd do what you said. I'd go through, you know, basic requirements you have to hit. Um, and then Logistics. after that, I would honestly, I would almost reverse sell them. I would explain to them what the job is. And then try to get them not to be interested yeah, in it. Tell them all the bad things. Yeah. Not necessarily that, like that, but I would tell them objectively what the job is. Yeah. Knowing that a lot of people are just turned off by a lot of those things and would just cut themselves out anyone that sounded interested that could basically just carry a good conversation um i would say all right jeff um this has been great uh the next step would be to bring you out to an in-person training uh in the winter we don't we don't do jobs so i wouldn't i would just do another final interview like you said but in the summer i would say um i want you to text me your name and details in two days from now at 9 a.m. And if they missed the ball or they didn't text me, I knew I was like, I don't have to waste time with this person. They're not interested or they're not able to show up on time. Anyone that did in the winter, I would have a second, like a formal interview with them. Um, And in the summer, I would just bring them to a job site. Um, And then at that point, after the day of work or after the formal interview, I would decide, you know, who gets to stay. So when I was telling you the number 20%, that came from uh, the winter when I did, it was all over uh, FaceTime and Zoom. And then... How many of those people stayed? 20% of the people that I hired um, stayed and the rest either ended up uh, not wanting it anymore or... That's I after just, their first day on the job. No, now. no, no. This is before. Okay. Or, or I let them come out for a day and decided it wasn't for them and I just let them go or they, you know, they didn't work out after a week or something. But 20% of those people at the beginning stayed with you for at least like whatever, like a month or two weeks. For like half the summer at least. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Also, I, you, you had mentioned something there, Amr, um, at the risk of this, uh, sounding like an ad, how is ZipRecruiter? Do you, have you used that? So Zip, ZipRecruiter is like maybe... Like over two hundred fifty to four hundred dollars a month. It's no, it's not cheap at all. But it posts on all other ad, like places. We used it when we no, started. No, we used Recruity. 
I used both. Okay. We used both when we started. And I found that it literally, all the applicants I was getting were exactly the same as the ones I was getting on Indeed. And I wasn't really getting anyone from anywhere else. So I just canceled it. Yeah. So again, this is all location like dependent, right? So it's, you gotta, you're, you're talking Toronto here, right? So um, it may not be as fruitful as other areas for ZipRecruiter, right? The, the, the point I think to extrapolate here is that wherever you are running a business, a lot of people think they should just go on Indeed or just go on Facebook and post jobs. And, and then they're like, I'm not getting the people I need. What, do I, what am I doing wrong? And you need to try 10, 15 different areas of recruiting in order to determine the one, two, or three that actually are giving you value. And then you can just stick to those. Correct. And I also liked what you said about looking within the business for people. Correct. First, well, I, I like that. Well, that was um, like that was the biggest thing that I I got from you. Honestly, I was always asking my workers for referrals of other people that would be good candidates. Um, but when you told me that like ha your entire staff was referrals from each other, um, I like that almost made me see like okay, this is totally doable and it makes sense. So I just started like pounding my guys every week. Like yeah, okay. I know you have friends. Just keep asking. I know. I keep yeah. asking. Keep asking. And and by the end of the year, half my staff were were all friends with each other. And when you have bad relationships, um, th that's terrible. You don't want referrals working yeah. with each other. But when you have good relationships and and they like the job, um, it's amazing because they don't even care about the job. They just want to have a good time and work with their buddies and uh, and and be a part of something together. Yeah. So one thing to note about having like that referral program within your company is you have to be a very, uh, very rigorous leader where you're actually setting the expectations. Like I would say, hey, do you know any smart, like really competent, integrous friends that can work this job? I don't just ask, do you know, any friends, uh, because then I would follow up that sentence with um, because, you know, Emma, I got to be honest with you. If you bring somebody on that doesn't work, I'm going to have to fire them. So with that in mind. Who do you know that you trust, you know, will be able to get this job done and you'll also have a good time with. And then that sets the right expectation. So right from the get go, I'm really putting my foot in the sand saying like, look, like this is just the inevitable. If they're not good, they're getting fired. And it puts that responsibility on them because who wants to bring a friend in that gets fired? Like, geez, right? Yeah. But, and also like the, the good employees, like obviously if you're asking these people for referrals, like you consider them to be a good employee. In my experience, my guys, whenever I've asked them, they've either given me somebody who's good or like they're, they'll look at their friends and be like, I have some people, but I don't want them, their like job performance to be reflected on go. me. So I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're instant. There are, they, the smart ones know that whatever, whoever they give is going to reflect on them to a certain extent. So they don't want to they don't want to put themselves at risk in that in that yeah. way you know but here's one thing yeah. you should never assume anything about anybody you, you know that's one thing i learned you can ask dan about like with with even customers you can't assume they know what you're talking about or they're smart or anything. you just assume everybody you know needs to hear it three times and you just act accordingly that's a that's a great philosophy yeah, yeah that's yeah Protect, protect your ass, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so just to jump into another question that I had that we've actually, I've never asked you this, but um, being where, um, I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm interested to see if, if this is it. Um, having done all the things you've done um, and being where you are now, um, I feel that we're similar in that... Um, our businesses are not in a place where we have all these problems raining down on us that we need to fix and and we just wish would be solved. Um, at least I can speak for myself in saying that I would be perfectly content continuing on the trajectory that I'm on now for the next 10 years um, and everything would be great. Um, so it, it's hard to wish that things were different or to be fearful. Uh, but my question is, is um, what is something that you fear may or may not occur down the road that may have to do with your business, but doesn't necessarily yeah. have to? Yeah. Uh, well, it's actually a, a pretty straightforward answer. I mean, I, I am scared that December 2021 rolls around and we haven't even cleared like 100000 in revenue. I mean, that that would be... 
pretty devastating. Um, You're talking about for the consulting for the business consulting now, business, correct? Yeah. I mean, I did give myself three years to fully see this through. And I'm on like, thinking in, we started our, the first sale we made was in May, right? So I'm still like, you still got a little ways to that first year. Yeah. What do you add? Well, we're like 13,000 in sales, right? But you got to also remember, we're not doing any sales. The sales we've done was just for the sake of data collection and understanding of our products and if they work or not. It's just actually, uh, it was a test. Um, sales starts when our Facebook ads go live. And as we speak, they're all being uh, in, reviewed. So I'm just afraid December rolls around and it's like... Ah, oh, like there goes like a year because it's, it's now would have been two years removed where I could have run a painting business and uh, I know I would have made a, a healthy income. And You can't think that way. No, can't you can't back. think that way. No, no, no. I know. I know. But you will think that way. And it's just a matter. It's just a matter of how quickly you can get rid of it out of your head. Like It's still inevitable. Yeah, I um, totally agree with that. So what, yeah. would, what would that let's let's say that happens yeah and we fast forward it's december and you're you know you're at 50k oh. and you're not at all where you thought you'd be how how do you feel and what's your next move well the next move would be actually setting a, a, a strict deadline for december 2022 and i would come up with a goal and say this is it like this is the last year like this this is it and i would treat it as such and uh I think the sense, like the sense of urgency, would reach levels I've never, like it never reached before. I'd be doing everything humanly possible, and uh, I would make that clear to my business partner and and to people in my life. Like, hey, this this is it. Like, if this if we don't hit these targets, uh, I mean, we're gonna call it a day. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm. I don't know if I, but that's the thing. If December twenty twenty two rolls around and I still didn't hit my goal, I don't know if I would throw in the the towel. That's the thing, because, I mean, you're three years deep in this, and my knowledge on the industry has grown so much, and to just throw it away, I think my plan at that point would be uh, to supplement my income uh, with a, with another way. I would maybe buy a franchise and have it to run a painting franchise more passively and still work. You would buy it. a franchise mm -hmm. and then hire someone else to run it and then just take a percentage for coaching them. I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, it's what I do. I have the systems for a franchise, right? Um, I can just have a franchise to run i have the expertise but people keep for forgetting that the, just the amount of time it takes to build a business that i can't do that but by december 2022 i mean i got to start making some money and you know uh, thankfully my real estate has been paying great amounts but i mean who knows how consistent that's going to be right so um something has to happen by then but still we are two years removed from that moment uh, so 23 months, but you've got time. Yeah. I want to highlight how, um, like how pragmatic and practical that is because I feel like a lot of people, um, go into business because they're passionate about something or they're excited about an idea and there's no end in sight. And they just like go all the way down the rabbit hole of like investing all their money into it with and, and it, often it's like a terrible business idea and they just run themselves into the, into debt with it. But then on the flip side, there's a lot of people that just give up. Just they a just bit too something. early. Have you ever seen that photo of like the two yes, miners? I know exactly what you're talking about. Diamond? Yeah. And he's like, he's like a about. sliver away from the diamonds and he turns around and gives up. Yeah. Um, I would hate for that to happen, you know? That's what it is. That, that, that photo lives in my head rent free. Yeah. I, um... But I think that to get into that mindset is um, it requires, I guess, a lot of self-awareness and experience because on one end, being self-aware, your ego can't be tied into the success or failure of it. But on the other end, also experience is just knowing that like it's okay to not be where you want to be, but have the capacity to see what you've done so far and then make a judgment call on whether or not, you know, like I'm not at my goal, but X, Y, Z is working. So, you know, I think the market is telling me that I'm onto something here and, and I should continue. Yeah. Um, my biggest motivator when it comes to this stuff is like Jeff Bezos, like, you know, 1995, he quit his job at Wall Street making 350,000 US, 
which is adjusted to inflation in today's dollars is like around 700,000 a year. Um, he quit his job to sell books online. And the internet was almost nothing. That is literally the equivalent of me, you know, leaving StudentWorks to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to build the next Bitcoin. Like that is the like the equivalent. It's just such a young thing that nobody really understands. And I'm just going to go out there. But this guy, Jeffrey, he said, you know what? I'm going to, by the way, that's how, how he signs his letter to investors, uh, letter to shareholders, Jeffrey Bezos. Um but there he is, 1995, 1996, barely getting results, and uh, he's still cracking at it. And then 1997, they reach 800% return. They go from, uh, I think, 14.7 million uh, to, oh, I don't know, well, 800% of that. So he, I mean, blows up the business. And the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's the, the second richest man on earth after Elon Musk, believe it or not. I think they keep trading Just every recently, day. yeah. I think they keep going back and forth. I saw I saw that Elon passed him, and the next day Jeff was back in the ranks. And uh, Dude, yeah. Elon went from $26 billion of January last year to $188 billion of January of this year. Crazy. It doesn't even matter it's at that insane. point. No. Once, you're, once you pass... Once you're in the billions, it actually doesn't really matter how much money you, you have. Yeah, once, you, once you pass a couple billion, I, you're... That, I mean, your Reddit, the Reddit post that you sent me, mm. um, there's a very interesting post on Reddit. If anyone wants to look it up, you can probably just Google um, Reddit, uh, what it's like to be a billionaire. And there's a top post that basically breaks down um, an insider's view of the different income brackets of, of massive wealth and what their lifestyle is like. And it starts out from anyone making somewhere from... Uh, One to ten who, million. worth... I think up to 10 million and then 10 to 30 and then 30 to a hundred and then a hundred plus and then, and then billionaires. Um, and I, yeah, it was very, very fascinating. Um, yeah. I Super wanted cool. to actually ask you about your, your real estate. Um, what do you have going on there and, uh, how do, uh, how do we do it? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one thing you should note, I was actually the first business in student works to incorporate. So that means all my earnings went to a corporation. Uh, why did you do that? Pardon me? What made you do that? Well, uh, for one, in my first year of student works, I made a, a good amount of money that I just d like was enough for me to live on for a good amount of time. So I knew this second check that was coming in, I just didn't need the money. And if it was paid to the personal, I would have paid like a 43% income tax. So instead of paying that 43% income tax, I said, you know what, I'll put it in a corporation, I'll pay my 13% corporate tax, and I would use those funds and that extra purchasing power, that 30% extra purchasing power, uh, to invest in uh, some real estate. And so what I've done is I found somebody that I really trust, who is an expert in the field, and here's the really important one, who's still early in the in the field that he wants to prove himself. And I think that's like very, very important. Um, so I found that individual uh, and now it was time to see, okay, well, how much can I trust him? So I went through that process, you know, hundreds of phone calls, uh, went through the whole eight miles. I could trust this guy with my life. So I said, you know what, find me uh, some deals. Uh, the first deal we did together was basically he had a property that he wanted to flip and he needed financing for the flip. So I acted as a as a loan, like I just gave him a loan to flip the house uh, against the house itself. So if he didn't pay the loan, I would take the house. Like it was a pretty favorable deal. And he showed his confidence in, in, in going ahead with these with that financing. So was so that, that his first flip? Pardon me? Was that his first one? No, 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 no. That was like his, he had done a bunch his 25th, before. 30th flip. This yeah. guy's in okay. the okay. And he was just doing, he was using other people's money and a bit of his own each time. Correct. 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 Okay, cool. So I, uh, I funded that deal. He paid me back at 25% in eight months. So then another, t another deal rolled into the table out in Sudbury. So I'm located in Toronto. So just to, you know, that's a three and a half hour drive. Uh, for a an apartment building. So this was an apartment building. It's 11 units. And uh, he was looking to raise money to put a down payment on it. Um, the down payment was like 350000 So you have to raise 350000 And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm going to look for a couple of people. I was one what of the people that? on the list. 5%, five, 20%? Five Pardon me? 
what percentage is that down? How much was the building? Uh, it was around 33%. It's a commercial building. Wait, okay. so you're telling me it was a million dollars for... It, it was 780000 yeah. For 11 wow. units? That's how cheap it is outside Toronto. Oh, my yes. God. I, I always catch myself speaking to people outside of, how of Toronto. How far is Sudbury from, like, outside Toronto? Four-hour drive. I, I just four moved hour here. Drive. Four hours. Four hours. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty far. I always catch myself hearing It's pretty far, yeah. Talk about it's that. doable. It's drivable. And I'm like, oh, my God. This person's just buying, like, like houses left and right. And they... And they, they don't really make that much. And then I hear, the, and then I'm like, wait, how much does it cost? And they're like, oh, you know, like six hours out of Toronto, there's houses for like 80 grand. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's crazy. That you're putting wow. like 10% down then. Um, wow. But yeah, no, that's, I mean, listen, if you're able to get a return like that, then, then fuck yeah. Yeah. So I, I love his investing so, uh, strategy. It's because the idea is over time, people are going to move out of Toronto. And I strongly believe that there's a lot of millennials in Toronto that will never, ever, ever afford the houses in Toronto. So that's where Sudbury comes in. Right. Uh, and, and those places. So the deal rolled in. Uh, I actually uh, I had him fly me out to Sudbury. Um, so I can see the deal myself. I met the uh, the manager of the building. I met the tenants. So he 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 invested in your investment. So um, went out, saw the building, saw the tenants, saw the managers, talked to random people in the street, got an understanding of the Sudbury area. Uh, went to the basement, saw the electrical, looked behind the walls, went through like the the place was disgusting. Like people like the neighbor was like selling crack. It was a yep. well-known crack nice. dealer, so it That's was like our, I knew what I was getting myself be into. Owned by a crack dealer. Pardon me. Our the our the former owners of our house, their son was a drug dealer in the garage. Yeah, there, there you go. Right, but um, those are always like good deals if you look at them properly, right? So ex drug dealing houses. Yeah, yeah. So uh, chose to make the investment, and uh, ever since then, it's been extremely fruitful. Um, at the worst moment of the coronavirus is when we bought the apartment at like the worst day we bought it. It was like timing could not have been more perfect. And uh, yeah, it is, it is paid, paid fruitfully. And here's the cool thing that people, my brother's always asking this, why don't you just invest in stocks? Why don't you just do this? Well, all the best stocks are American and the capital gains tax that you pay on American stocks if you're in Canada are like 50% or more. And on top of that, investing in stocks through a corporation is a whole other like yeah. story. Yeah, a whole other nightmare. Yeah. Whereas in, in real estate, if you invest as a shareholder loaner, so it's like you're loaning to like a company, it's like done in a specific way, unless the building or the asset is sold, you don't pay capital gains tax. Because you're keeping it in the corp. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So it's it's pretty damn cool how you can structure things. But in isn't real it the same way if if you have? But if you sold it, okay. So what you're saying is if you own stocks and then you sold the stocks, you would be paying cap. Your corp would still have to pay capital gains correct, on it. Correct. Correct. Yes. But if you have uh, real estate that you sell, the corp doesn't have to pay capital gains. No, no. On if it? it sells, you still have to. But if you set it up as a loan and they're just like we just refinance the building. You don't pay capital gains. Wow. Tax. Okay. If That's you powerful. refinance, did you? Are you recouping your investment, and then you're trying to get a monthly or yearly uh, payout from it in recurring revenue, or are you just trying to get like your rent checks, basically? Yeah. So I actually am not interested in the monthly revenue yet. Um, I think I'm going to be more interested in monthly income uh, once I hit like one. 1.3 million in cash because until that point like I want to own a building outright myself So until then I want to build up my capital by buying flipping refinancing until I get to that point and hopefully the money from the court from the consulting also Supplements that but uh, basically the math on that is on 1.3 million. I could purchase an apartment in Toronto uh, with a manager overseeing it that would pay me after taxes after corporate stuff around 75 to 80,000 uh, uh, passively per year, and that is the that is the goal. Um, yes, you can say yeah, you can take that one point three million and put it in a, a you know GIC mutual fund or. Uh, when you say apartment, you don't mean an apartment building. You mean one apartment. No, 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 an apartment building. Uh, one point three is, is enough for a down payment for like a four four and a half million. Um, 
Oh, 10, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. okay, I was yeah. like, <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 like, one point three. You're not getting more than one. <laughs> one unit. No, that was that would be the down payment. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So um, that's that's the plan for now, and and uh, yeah. So I got paid out on the first deal. The second deal, we're looking. So it was a one time payout. Like you the first one was a flip, and you got your money out. Yeah, it's the first one. Yeah, and then the second one is that we're looking to refinance closer to December of this year, which was also way ahead of schedule and. That return on that can be anywhere. Knock on wood. On on that one, did you guys do any renos on the? Uh, oh, the dude, we renoed. We put a hundred thousand dollars in just renovations in that. Wow, apartment. and it, it's eleven units, and you basically you renoed all of them, or just a few? Uh, I think we renoed six, but six and like the hallways, the stairs, yeah, and the common the areas. Room. So just to confirm, you you gave them a wow. dollar, and you basically got a dollar twenty five back. You know, eight months later, on the first one. On the first one, correct. Yeah, yeah. So it just you're out of the deal. Like you got paid and you're you're gone. Yeah, the money the money takes time to get here, but yeah, it, the money's on the way. No, I just wanted to cool. confirm like you're not holding. He's, out. He's not interest holding it. In, in nope. the deal still. Okay. Cool. Nope, nope, nope. Because that that building is actually sold. It's sold already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, Amara, I just actually wanted to bring it back quickly here uh, to the consulting uh, business. Uh, I think. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that. Um, I was just wondering, like, what, like, coming from, you came from StudentWorks, ran this huge business yourself. What turned you on to the idea of consulting? What, yeah. what, like, what got you excited about that? Well, at first, I was like, okay, this is going pretty good. But at the end of the day, I'm not actually a business owner. I'm a franchisee, right? Okay. I feel like a lot of StudentWorks operators have that feeling. So... Um, my first idea was actually to start another franchise. Like I'm going to start my own painting franchise. Right. But then I realized, ah, I got to like understand the back end of stuff and I just, it didn't seem fun. Um, so then I was like, okay, but I still want to solve a problem in the industry. And then I realized that a lot of what I was learning in student works, uh, I was doing better than like some contractors in my area, like these 40 year old contractors been in the industry. Pretty much all of them. All of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, it just felt unfair that I had all this knowledge that I had the right mentors in place that helped me guide through this. And there didn't exist any system for like, there's a plumber who was interested in starting his own business. Like he didn't know where to go. If there's a carpenter who was ready to start up his own shop, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, we have all these RET seals and certifications and apprentice programs, but the moment somebody has to run a business, it's like, oh, well, yeah, you know what? You got to pay your dues, young man. You got you to go build your reputation for five years. And- you can go to, um, to trade school to learn a trade, but you can't go to business school to learn how to run a business. No, no. So I said, you know what? Um there's two ways to solve this problem. One, I can get on one-on-one phone calls and help them with the process, which we did. It works. But good luck organizing phone calls with tradesmen who are busy 24-7. So I said, you know what? These phone calls are kind of sounding the same every single time. What if I just built a program that's pretty easy to follow with its own resources that contractors can follow? And on top of that, it's supplemented with uh, two calls a week that I can assist them with. And the solution here... Uh, Patrick, to answer your question, the reason why I went to this point is I, I didn't feel satisfied solving problems for housewives and their blue wall. I didn't, I didn't get satisfied from just like painting walls, not at the size of the business that I was doing it. But I did know I would get more satisfaction by solving more of a long-term problem. I mean, if I solve a contractor's problem to start a business or solving Nancy's problem with the color of the wall, I just knew... This guy's life will change. Nancy will forget about the wall in three days, right? So I just felt like if I was going to invest a sort of energy uh, into something like this, I'm either going to run a $2 million painting business where I'm like, I have employees that can change their life and that actually ends up paying off, like what Dan is building here. I mean, you're going to reap the rewards, Patrick, in a year or two when you see the, the amount of stuff that you're learning through that process, right? A hundred percent. I'm already reaping the rewards. <laughs> I'm telling you, right? So it's either that path or I can just go out and create something. And that's the itch that I had that most people didn't is I wanted to create something from nothing, a solution 
from out of nowhere. And, and I uh, and I I really I really like that. And I think that we've all kind of in this industry and like you know um, like the trade industry noticed what you just kind of pointed out that there's a lot of people who want to run a business and it seems like in the only real way to do it is to like work for five to 10 years for somebody else and then kind of do your own thing off from that. But there's a lot of people just kind of running these like subsistence businesses where like they book the work, they produce it themselves and they're never able to kind of elevate it to the point that it's like an actual business that they own. Uh, there's a, it's, it's, it's like an actual problem and there's a way to measure problems in an industry. And there's four levels. Um, one, the first level is that the industry doesn't know that there's a problem. Okay. The second level of awareness, it's like they know that there's a problem, but they don't know that a solution exists. The third stage is they know there's a problem. They know that there's solutions that exist, but like they don't know how to choose them. And then the fourth level is they know all the problems and they know all the solutions. Okay. In the, in the specific contracting industry, we're at like level one and two, where like they don't even know there's a problem. And if they do, they don't know that there's a solution. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So what that tells me, that tells me that the industry is unoptimized. And if I can be the first person to start optimizing and organizing this industry, I will reap the first mover benefits. And if you know the first mover theory in economics is you're the first person to solve a specific problem in an industry. And if I can do that, I will reap the benefits. And the ultimate goal here is to raise the standard on what it means to be a contractor. I kind of like to speak to the the existing outlook on contractors. And it's this sort of Cold War contractor. It's like this European guy who's in his in his 50s who's bald and like has wrong. fat fingers. Yeah. Shout out and, to and, Mitko. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, bald and... And smokes cigarettes all the time and is always not late so much anymore. and has his stuff all <laughs> over in the van and is disorganized. I want to eliminate that. Yep. I want to, there's this sort of branding that exists for contractors that I want to eliminate. You can't the eliminate idea, them too quickly though because they're basically what gives us all of our business. So this slow, slow the roll in the window cleaning industry. No, you right? guys have such an immense advantage that, by the yeah. way, we're ta- what I'm talking about here, solving and changing this brand, Patrick, takes five to 10 years more. Of course, of course. Right? Yeah. So, but the idea here is that if I'm a homeowner, I never have to get this little tick in the back of my head like, oh, it's time to get a contractor or a tradesman. Let's see how this goes. Let's roll the dice on this one. It's like, no, no, no. Like there's actual systems that exist now like that people can follow through. You never have that tick when you hire an accountant. Why? It's because there's systems and regulations for accounting businesses. But that tick exists for tradesmen and contractors because that has not been solved yet. And that is what I will solve. And I'll give you my word to that. So, yeah, the de- another question I had for you was, how do you feel um, your, uh, I know that personally I attribute a lot of my, uh, of who I am, as I think most people would be, but especially as an entrepreneur, um, I attribute to, uh, to, to my parents and kind of how they raised me, um, as well as my experiences through uh, childhood. So I wanted to know how do you feel your upbringing resulted in you becoming the person you are today? Yeah, so my family sacrificed everything. My dad sold his house that he built. Uh, my mom let go of her pharmacy degree that she worked for. Um, and they, they, went, they left Jordan to come to Canada. Was there a war set- going on then? Pardon me? Was there a war going no, on? No, no, God no, God no. But my dad is uh, his. He used to run two businesses uh, where he sold uh, makeup and perfume. And whenever the, in- the industry, or sorry, whenever the economy starts doing badly, guess which business gets hit the fir- like yeah, the first. It's one of the first yeah. to go. Makeup right? and perfume. Yeah. yeah, right. So um, he started seeing this trend, and he's like, you know what? I don't want my children like studying here. So let's try and get them a Canadian citizenship. So when we came here to Canada, um. I just I just grew up quickly. It just became very clear that uh, the there was maybe no clear solution to what my family had to experience. So when I was in university, and I remember I was at a party, and like I was playing beer pong, and somebody like behind the garage was like yelling, "Who wants a job?" And I'm like, 
you know what? I haven't worked the job ever. I'm like in the 12th grade. Me, I yell, right? And I go to him and he's like, yeah, there's this job opening at this golf and country club for you to be a food runner. So I said, you know what? Let me sign up for this. So I was a food runner for like uh, six, seven months. And it was hard. It was I have really like long fingers. So holding a lot of plates was very, like I just couldn't do it because I didn't have the finger strength, right? Um, I was I was clumsy for some reason, even though I'm pretty not clumsy in almost everything. But when it came to like putting the protein like around somebody's shoulder in front of them on a table, I couldn't do it. When I was pouring water, I just pour it like a, like I don't know, just pour it normally, not the fancy way, you know, because I just just not how I do things. But the biggest thing, and the biggest thing that I would look forward to in that job was, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Halloween, where the the golf and country club would have these events where they would invite all the the members. And mind you, this was the number one golf and country club place in Canada. So like Trudeau and Tiger Woods would golf there, like Justin Trudeau. Um, so and these members pay an eighty thousand dollar initiation fee, and they have to spend fourteen thousand dollars a year on food. And uh, I think 25000 on golf. So it's like yearly. Or like if they don't spend it, like it gets deducted anyways, right? So these people would show up and I would have these exchanges every now and then. I always wonder like, like it's a Tuesday. It's a, you know, it's a, sometimes it would be a work day. And here they are relaxed working and I would talk to them. And it would seem like, oh, they're all business owners and they're entrepreneurs. And then I would go on YouTube and I would see like, Ty Lopez and oh, these God. very, very enrolling individuals who talked about entrepreneurship. And I started doing some research and it seemed like the highest payout to your input was through business ownership. So you didn't always yeah. want to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a lawyer. Oh, that's the same as me. I went into political science in the university thinking I wanted to be a lawyer and then got recruited by Student Works, and that's just that's changed so everything. I that's interesting to me because I I feel that um I always saw it that there was kind of two breeds of entrepreneurs. There were people that did it out of uh true inherent want and desire and just like like I always loved business. Uh, I didn't always want to be a business owner. I, I also wanted to go into law, but um, but I was always trying to make money doing this or shoveling driveways or whatever. Um, and it fascinated me and excited me. And then there's other people like like my dad, who's who's also an immigrant, who just mostly became an entrepreneur out of necessity because no other job would re- hire and pay a reasonable amount to a guy who barely speaks English. Uh, but it sounds like you kind of were in the middle where you didn't really care and then you realized that it was the be- the best payout uh but not obviously it doesn't you're not doing it for the money but it just made the most sense and and you chased that yeah i mean again i'm a pretty lazy guy so if i wanted to be a lawyer that means i had to pay my dues for 6 years before i was a partner i mean I don't want to spend six years. Are you crazy? That's a long time. Unless right. you absolutely love it. That is a long time. Yeah. So I knew there had to be there had to be another way. And and uh, this one day I see this ad on uh, uh, I don't even know where. Uh, and I and I went to this meeting and it was for student works and I'm like, I'm too good for student works. I don't want to do this. So. Uh, I talked to that person there, and it was Hannah. I'm like, Hannah, g- give me give me something harder, because this looks too easy. You know, you're like recruiting students. I think I can do better. You know, I was like fill- filled with ego, and you know, just uh, it was terrible. I was terrible back then. And she was like, here, call this guy. And this guy was named Michael Hawley, who was running a Pro Works franchise. He was running a, yeah, he was running a Michael Hawley, running a uh, a painting business. And he wanted a sales manager. So we, you know, I called him, impressed him on the phone. I'm like really good at public speaking and all that. So I was able to like slide in and get that interview. Uh, and he said, okay, here's what we're doing. We're going to go knock on doors. I'm like, okay, great. How much are you paying per hour? I was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't pay you per hour. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you only get paid when you close a deal. I'm like, how much do I get paid? He's like, you get paid 10%. I'm like, oh, wait, but is there a cap to this? Like what? What if I just sell like 
like a hundred thousand dollars. Like you're gonna pay me ten grand in like three months. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, this is crazy. What is this called? And he's like, oh, this is called like pay per result. Like this is what you're compensated for. I'm like, this is this. It was like a, a light beacon that was shined upon me. I had a couple other questions. So um, a while back, probably six months ago, you and I had a, a relatively in-depth conversation about uh, religion and its importance in your life. Um, and I find that a lot of people that I know that are religious, um, I kind of don't really take it seriously um, just because of the way that they're bought into the thing. I'm not a religious person at all myself. Um, but our conversation uh, was very interesting because I felt like you weren't attached to it because, you know, this is the way the Lord ha- created you to be and, and you have to listen to the, the invisible man in the sky. Um, it was a lot more pragmatic in that and that um, and you were open to the idea of, of even potentially not continuing to follow that way of thinking if it didn't continue to benefit you in your life. Um, so I just wanted to kind of open the floor to you to talk about that and uh, and tell us your thoughts on, on where you're at there. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was, um, I remember what was saying that. It, it was not exactly as how it was worded. It's not like I wouldn't follow it. Is that I am so, uh, like I understand the fu- the fundamentals and foundations of my religion that the odds of it not serving me are so low. And that if it was to ever not serve me, which I'm betting that I would never will, then I would like I'm open to another possibility. But uh, I mean, it's just a roadmap, you know, it's just like saying, hey, here's what's recommended. Here's what's not recommended. And uh, and then go. And then I just followed this roadmap and my life has just been great. I mean, not drinking alcohol. I never had to worry about a lot of things that people worry about right and the amount of money i save too is is pretty nice um when it comes to the daily practicing of these habits there's other effects that you know for example praying it's kind of like meditating you know there's this time slot where you're practicing gratitude i mean isn't that powerful if people practice gratitude five times a day Uh, when it comes to going to something like church or the mosque i mean here you are meeting with other people who uh, believe in the same thing. It's why you joined EO. It's here's this group of people that are meeting for the same thing. Just belonging in that space gives you this sort of power and energy. So there's that payoff there. Uh, when it comes to something I do, it's like Ramadan, where for 30 days I don't eat or drink water when the sun is up. That's around you know 14 to 16 hours throughout the day. My self-control doubles or triples, and my gratitude for my position in life, where I can just open a fridge and eat food and drink water. I mean. My perspective expands. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, we're also required to donate to charity and all that. And, you know, the times where I do donate to charity, even though I'm spending money, I've never felt richer, right? And it's like, isn't that something? So just all the aspects that are tied to my religion uh, have just never been in the way and have always added to my life. And I think that's mainly because I have, um, there was a, I mean, I'm a philosophy, uh, I have a degree in philosophy. So uh, in there, you're always taught to ask questions. And I went back to the foundations and fundamentals of my religion. And I asked, like, okay, does this make sense? Like, why is that there? And I've been able to choose my religion versus be indoctrinated in it automatically. Um, And uh, yeah, it's, it's a great thing. And I think it just adds to my life versus takes away. Because I have this right perspective. Fuck yeah! Mm. Awesome. Anything else? On that? No, I mean that's that's a really cool perspective. I mean, I just uh, I'm personally not uh, very religious, um, but I see I see the value in it, and I really respect what you said about you having like thought deeply about it and you actually have chosen your religion instead of being kind of like dogmatically like just kind of shoved into it like i think probably most people are um that's that's the way i think everybody should should Mm. be you know yeah yeah no thank you for that yeah well is there anything you wanted to uh to say before we wrapped up no just thank you man 
Really? Thank you. Thank I've had you. A lo- I've had you're a lot you're of fun. our first, I've, I've had first a lot of guest. Yeah, first, first, uh, first guest. And uh, wait, first guest? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh you're the first God. guest, the inaugural guest. Actually, before we uh, before we let you go, uh, anybody who's looking to find the consulting business, where can they find you? Oh, just go to go dot consulting.com and that's arc with a c trademarkconsulting.com go.trademarkconsulting.com cool and yeah, for awesome, the pod- man. and for the podcast we're uh, on Spotify, iTunes, uh all over the place that you can find us at the weekly call pod. So, the weekly call pod. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for your time, guys. Thank you for your time, man. Thank you so much, Amer. It's been fantastic and uh We'll link you up when when it's just, when the uh, we'll let you know when this is gonna it. drop. Yeah, perfect. Thank you guys. Hey everybody, this is Patrick. Just checking in quickly after the episode to say thank you so much for listening or watching. We really appreciate it. We've got some super cool interviews lined up in the near future. We're very excited about them, and we think they're gonna bring a lot of value to a lot of people. So make sure that you subscribe on your platform of choice. We are officially available on all major podcasting platforms and on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe there and stay tuned for more. We'll see you next time.